0: Welcome to Waterbrook Church, located in Victoria, Minnesota. Glorious Disruption is about when Jesus shows up and turns everyone's world upside down. We believe this study of God's Word is about to turn many people's lives completely around. It may be even upside down because that's what happens in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus comes to people who are absolutely stunned and amazed by Him, and they are profoundly and gloriously changed forever. Let's begin by praying that this happens here at Waterbrook and beyond for our joy and amazement in Jesus. Let's worship together. Isn't it good just to hear Jesus sung and read and praised over and over again? Just get your eyes on him no matter what your life has been like this last week or even this morning. I don't know, I'm in that phase right now too when I'm watching worship and participating that I'm starting to get the ache of students going away. So I was watching Bennett up there going, getting a little sad while I was... Sitting there thinking we got a got a generation of kids, we got a good group that are abandoning ship. <laughs> no, you're not. You're going to follow what the Lord wants. But I was just thinking today how good and gracious God has been to us and how much we need to keep praying for one another as we uh, go into this next uh, season for our young adults. But I'm thankful for you guys. Let's pray together. Let's ask God to help us. Oh God, we are weak and you are strong. Oh Jesus, thank you. That we can look upon you, hear of you, study scripture and realize there is no one like Jesus. There's no one who is for us. And we can read Romans and say, if God is for us, who can be against us? And so, Father, we ask in our weakness, our brokenness, our struggles, our challenges, the things that surround us outside of us that are difficult, the things that are inside that are hard. We just pray, let us see Jesus. Let us see the hope of our salvation. Let us be reminded that we have this great and glorious high priest who never gives up on us, never leaves us, never abandons us. And may that cause us, dear God, to give ourselves all the more to him because he's worthy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning we're going to talk about the subject of prayer, and that comes up in the Gospel of Luke in different uh, passages. In this particular passage, we see Jesus... Praying for his disciples. We see that text at the beginning where Simon Peter, we we're told that Satan is asked to sift him, and Jesus gives these encouraging words Simon, I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And then we get to the end of the section where it becomes incredibly intense for Jesus. Jesus is now about to go to the cross. Everything about that is. Uh, offensive in a sense to him separation from his father the wrath of God being put upon him and as he thinks about that you can see his agony in that moment and you and I need to pause and just think for a moment that God wants us through his word to see Jesus where he's at right now let me put it this if you could see Jesus right now you would be hopeful if you're struggling, if you could see Jesus right at this moment, you would be encouraged because I'll tell you, this text is reminding us that we have a great high priest who is at the right hand of God interceding for us. And if that's a little nebulous to you go, I wonder what it's really like. What does what it look like to picture Jesus at the right hand of God? You don't have to kind of speculate in your mind. Just go to Luke 22 because the Jesus praying here is the Jesus praying now. The kind of things he's doing in this text of scripture, you can be assured that he is now doing as the ascended God and the ascended sheep. So whatever you're going through today, whether it's internal, external, whether it's family health, spiritual battles, whatever you're going through, the hope that you're going to get is not looking deeper, not leaning more on the arm of your own religiosity, but to get your eyes off yourself and get your eyes on Jesus. Isn't that good news? And what we're shown in this text is that spiritual life is a battle. It's a struggle. There's three sections here that he walks through. In the the first section, we see it's a spiritual battle. Our battle's not against flesh flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Um, We're we're battling against the devil. In the second section, it's a battle against the the world. Uh, We live in a world that is against Christ, a world that is calling us away from the gospel opposed to, to the gospel, a culture that is anti-gospel. And, and Jesus says, you know, I told you before to not take a sword and not take a money bag and not take a knapsack with you. Now I'm telling you to take those things. But I'm telling you to take those things because I'm going about to take something for you. And he points to Isaiah chapter 53. And then we have this indescribable passage in uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. Where Jesus says twice to his disciples, he says, pray that you do not fall into what? Temptation. So there's an enemy, the devil that we fight against. There's a world that is not hospitable to Christ or his kingdom or his people. And then we have our flesh. And our flesh, even as believers, we're somewhere between the here and now and the not yet. What we once were, we've been rescued from by the grace of God, if you're in Christ. But we are being transformed from glory to glory. And so you and I have struggles with ourselves. That's my biggest struggle. My biggest struggle isn't you. My biggest struggle is me. And sometimes when you're coming to terms with the, your own spiritual battles in your heart, you can, you can begin to look at yourself and you can begin to think, how do, I, how do I fix this? How do I get myself turned around? How do I get... And you can begin to turn to religion or you can be turned to despair and just go woe is me like Isaiah, i'm a man of unclean lips i dwell amongst the people of unclean lips i got good news for you if you're in jesus christ he's fighting the battle already he's fought the battle and he's won the key battle but he's not sitting with his feet up on an ottoman with a remote control waiting for history to go by he is at the right hand of the father interceding for you Right now And if you have your eyes on jesus you have hope If You put your eyes anywhere else despair Because there's no one and nothing that can save us except Jesus and so this is my goal. This is our goal here today We need to pray. This is a call to prayer But we need to pray If we're going to have strength to pray Praying is hard Praying is difficult, it is a spiritual battle, but the way we pray, pray. Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter 4, the motivation for a Christian praying is the reminder that we have a Christ who's praying. Uh, the thing that en- engages me to get on my knees and plead to God is not that I can somehow have the strength to do it, but when I plead in my weakness and brokenness and weariness and ADHD distraction in the middle of my prayer, I've got one who is laser-focused on the good and the glory that God has intended for us. And so this text of Scripture is encouraging us to pray so that we might have strength to pray, that we might pray when it's hard to pray because we have and need Christ's help to pray. Does that make sense? Uh, It may not make sense, but I hope it'll become clearer as we walk our way through. So let's walk through this text and show what it is we're fighting and why we need to get our eyes on Jesus. Here's the first thing, the weakness of our will. This is Jesus interacting with Simon, Peter. Uh, Our human determination is no match against Satan's manipulation. We are outmatched in spiritual warfare. We have to have that clear in our minds that you and I are no match against angelic forces. And when we come into spiritual warfare, in this text of Scripture, Jesus is saying to Simon, 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 Satan has asked to sift you. See that text in verse uh 20 uh, 31 and 32 simon simon behold satan has demanded to have you i'm going to stop there and just point out to you I, I put it up there that when it says simon simon satan has demanded to have you the the you in the greek is in the plural form and so what jesus is saying is not simply simon he's going after you he's saying he's going after all of you guys He he's demanded to have all of you disciples and you see what happens with the disciples in the in the next uh, 24 hours or so after this text. They they scatter. They deny. They go in all kinds of different directions. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you, and I have prayed for you, singular, Simon. And, and I love that text. Satan is really going after all of us, but Jesus is going after each of us. That your faith may not fail. Uh, Norval Gedenheis in his commentary says... That in this text of scripture, Jesus does not say, Peter, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you. He says, Simon, Simon, because Peter, Peter, this, that Peter's the name that Jesus was given that means rock. And by saying, Simon, Simon, whenever that happens, that repetition is to get his attention. It's a point of emphasis. Simon, Simon, by not using Peter, not saying rock, rock, he's pointing to the old Peter. The old Simon, the weak and broken Simon, and saying, Simon, Simon, in your weakness, you have no chance. In your weakness, Satan is asked to sift you. But I prayed for you. That your faith may not fail. That word sifting is a word that means to, to take grain and sift it so the husks are taken off or corn and separated again the commentators say what, this is not asking for a mild shaking this is a major shaking I have come to shake you and Satan and, and what the commentators say here is that Satan is not asking just to momentarily sift the goal of Satan sifting is to destroy their faith that's why Jesus prays what he prays I have prayed that your faith may not fail. And and you and I need to stop. No matter what your theological study has taught you and your convictions are, if you and I were left alone with Satan, we would all fail. If you and I were uh, to, to stand in our own strength, it doesn't matter. Listen to Simon here. This is Simon, Simon. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. And the Lord responds, Peter, the, the, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times. I'll do this. And there's a temptation for all of us when we're kind of weak and we're struggling and we hear things and it's difficult to say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to try harder. I'm going to dig down deeper. I'm going to work in my own strength. My dear friends, God help us. Your best abilities, spiritually, are no match for Satan's lies, deceptions, and power. He will sift you. We need a healthy fear of the enemy. A biblical fear of the enemy, don't we? We need a serious fear. I remember listening to a comedian talk about him watching the news, and he saw a guy in I think it was North Carolina decided that he wanted to ride out a hurricane on the beach. And he said, so the guy strapped himself. He said, that wind isn't going to bring me down. He said he strapped himself to a tree, and the news reporters were covering him. And he says, do you understand that in a hurricane, it's not the wind that kills you. It's the Volkswagen Beetle flying through the air in the wind that'll take you down it's the things flying in the wind that hurts you in a hurricane my dear friends when satan does his things there's a lot of stuff that he can throw in the air a lot of things that can fly that can bring you down we need a healthy fear of this but also a good reminder that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world isn't that good news Jesus says these things. Notice here the focus of Jesus' prayer. Jesus prays that your faith may not fail. I got good news. If Jesus prays that prayer, your faith will not fail. is that good news? Praise God in heaven. Jesus is praying that your faith may not fail. And some of you may feel weak today. And if you're looking at yourself, if you're looking at the mirror, if you're you're looking at your own determination, stop. Your hope is not in your ability. Your hope is only in the Lord. Look to Jesus. Notice the efficacy of Jesus' prayer. There's no question in Jesus' mind. He says, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Oh, Peter's going to have a rough few days. But it's not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story. Jesus says, when your faith is restored, when you're restored, when you, Peter, are back on your feet after you've learned the humility lesson, thank God he humbles us. And he does it for all of us. Thank God he humbles us. I hate being humbled, but I got a lot of work because he just keeps going after me. (laughs) We need it, right? Uh, we hate it and we like it. But it says, When you are restored, strengthen the brethren. And he looks to Simon Peter and he sees the future because not because Simon Peter's gonna turn around, but because Jesus is gonna turn Simon into Peter. And he's gonna put him in the right direction. Listen to First Thessalonians chapter five, verse twenty-four. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who's doing the sanctifying? Who's doing it completely? How much of us is he restoring uh, or making blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus? All of you. And who is uh, the one we are to trust? This is what it says. He who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. Tom Schreiner says, Jesus teaches Simon that perseverance and his ministry of helping others is to be attributed not to his own virtue, but to Jesus' prayer for him and the other disciples. Thank you, Jesus. All glory to Jesus. Our hope is in Jesus. Martin Luther put it this way, For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. Did we in our own stri- strength confide our striving would be losing? We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Does ask who that may be? Christ Jesus it is he. Lord Sabaoth his name. Lord of hosts is his name from age to age the same and he must win the battle why do we need to pray because satan would whoop us if we're left to ourselves and secondly why should we be encouraged to pray why should we get out our prayer because there's already someone on our side and he will hold you fast and he does so by engaging your heart in prayer we pray because he's on our side fighting for us Isn't that good news Secondly, not only is uh, the battle kind of uh, against the demonic world, the wor- uh, or the demonic realm, but also the world. The weakness of our worldly weaponry, worldly power is of no use in spiritual warfare. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 35. And he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? He poses a question to them. And they had to be honest, nothing, we lacked nothing. So he had sent out the disciples and said, don't take a knapsack with you, don't take a money bag with you, don't take a, a Colt 45 with you, don't go traveling out there to protect yourself, I will protect you. And he said, when I said that, were you okay? Did you have everything you need? They go, absolutely, we lacked nothing. Then he says these words to them right after this. He says, but now let the one who has a money bag take it. And likewise, a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. And so suddenly Jesus says, there's a shift going on here. I told you not to do that, but now I'm telling you to do this. Because he's saying now the physical realm is not where the battle is going to be. Physical provisions aren't where the battle is going to be. He says, you just get those things, but he says, I'm about to go and die. I'm going to the cross. Listen to what he says in the next verse. He says, for I tell you the truth that this scripture must be fulfilled. And he was numbered amongst the transgressors. And what is written about me has its fulfillment. So Jesus knows he's going to the cross. He looks back at Isaiah chapter 53. That's where he's going to. And he says, I now have to fulfill that passage of scripture you're about to see isaiah 53 be realized in front of your very eyes you're going to see this as i go to the cross and you and i need to go back there but this is what we need to hear jesus saying he's saying take your sword and all that and and it's interesting what they say what do they say hey we got Now i'm wondering if they didn't have swords why they had swords but somewhere somebody was carrying a colt 45 two. Right? They had them there and they said, what, we, here, here are two swords, we're going to go to war. And, and it's like Jesus said, okay, it's enough. Because his point wasn't, you're going to have to go fight a political, physical war. And we've got to be reminded of this. The kingdom of God will not be advanced through the kingdoms of this world. The kingdom of God will not be advanced through the political powers or military might of this world world that doesn't mean those things don't matter what I'm telling you is you can have legal governments that insist on moral laws but you'll never change a single heart you'll just produce hidden hypocrisy if there's enough fear or 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 proud morality but we need a new birth we need a new heart so go to Isaiah chapter 53 let's look at this text that jesus talks about and i'll put up part of it up here uh, for you but he he quotes from a section at the end of isaiah 53 10 to 12 and uh, particularly the focus is on verse 12 but listen to 10 to 12 Uh, isaiah wrote this and he said yet it was the will of the lord to crush him he has put him to grief when his soul makes an uh, offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days, and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Now, what you and I are supposed to hear here is Jesus is going to suffer, but because he suffers, he's going to be prosperous. He's going to get rewarded, that he's going to win the, the pleasure and the approval and the reward of God by suffering under the hand of God. Now look at verse 11. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. So Christ goes and suffers in our place for our sin so that you and I might become righteous. Right. Second Corinthians 521. God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The great exchange. He takes our sin. We get his holiness, his righteousness. Verse 12. This is where Jesus quotes. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered, that's what Jesus quotes, I must be numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So I like to think of this they come up and they say, We got two physical swords. Jesus is going, No, 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 you have two spiritual swords. And the two spiritual swords are A, the finished work of Christ on the cross. Because he suffered. For our sins and and our transgressions, our sins are forgiven. We have the gospel. It's finished. And because Christ has paid for our sins, the good news is he now makes intercession for the transgressors. So where is Jesus right now? He's interceding with us. And why why are his prayers effective and effectual? Because God is satisfied. He has paid for our sin. Because he did that, he gets to share the rewards of his death. One of the songs we sing goes, Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. Oh, we can give an answer. We gain from his reward because God is pleased to pour out all the blessings on us that that Christ earned and Christ deserved. This is so good for us. Because when we're praying and we're going, God, I don't deserve it. God, I've been a failure again. God, I've made a royal mess of things. God, I'm struggling. And we go to God and pray. We're not pleading on the basis of our merit. We're not pleading on the basis of how today went or the last week went or the last month went or the last year yet. We come in and we say, you say in Isaiah 53 that you will pour out your blessings because you poured out your wrath on your son. And we plead that case. And then all of a sudden we can pray. If you haven't been praying because of guilt and shame, don't pray because of guilt and shame. Confess your guilt and shame and pray in the name of Jesus. And that changes like Psalm 121. I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and earth. Who's the Lord? It's Jesus. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. You get slumber. These guys will slumber in the garden of Gethsemane while Jesus is pleading. But Jesus never falls asleep. He will not slumber. He will not sleep. Oh, the Lord will be your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not smite you by day, nor the, Lord, the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. The enemy likes to bark in your ear. No way. He's going to forget you. He's going to abandon you. You're guilty. He puts heaps shame upon you. Now Shaquille O'Neal tells the story of when he was playing for the Orlando Magic and they played the Chicago Bulls. Michael Jordan was a notorious trash talker, and he says he remembers being on the court. Michael Jordan was coming down the court, and uh, he was talking to one of uh, Shaquille O'Neal's uh, teammates, and he essentially said, was saying to his teammate, "I'm going to come down the court. I'm going to bounce the ball twice between my legs. I'm going to do a, fi- a pump fake." and then I'm going to sink the basket, and then I'm going to look at you. And he went down the court, he put the ball between two legs, he pumped fake, put it in the basket, and looked at the guy. He just made a mess of him, made, <laughs> humiliated him. He said that nothing the guy could have done about it. Now, well, here's good news. Satan comes down the court, and he says, I'm going to make an absolute fool and a mess and a ruin of your life. I'm going to do pump fake, I'm going to humiliate you, you're going to look like absolutely worthless. And Jesus steps in front of him and says, Oh, no, you are not. Oh, no, you are not, because you have no authority over them anymore. I have taken it. Isn't that good news, friends? In our prayer lives, we have two battles in our pleading. We have two weapons in our pleading in the battle against sin. The death of Jesus defends us against guilt and shame, and the life of Jesus defends us against Satan's intimidation and temptation. We have an intercessor at the right hand of the Father. Praise God. And then we go into this scene, and this is the last thing I want to say, is the fragility of human emotion. Man, the, the Christian experience is tough. And, you know, you, you come to church on Sunday, and the worship's good, and you get emotionally connected, and it's important. I'm not dismissing emotion. We get our emotions from an emotional God. Who loves and delights and takes pleasure? We come in, but you go out the door and you get in the car and you get. If you get to out here to County Road 43 without the kids going squirrely, and you start to think, I I, I just lost everything I got in an hour, or halfway through the day, or midway through the week, and you just realize our emotions are not enough to sustain our faithfulness to God in the in the battle against sin and temptation. And my prayer life is an evidence that my emotions work against me a lot of the times in keeping me close to God. But here's what we got in this text. While the disciples' emotions worked against them, Jesus, who was far more emotional in this text, stayed true and pressed on and used those emotions in his own prayer life. Listen, listen to the text. It says in verse 39, And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter in temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed and said, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus hated the thought of the cross hated just the idea of separation from his father alien nation. he despised it and he groaned over it but he submitted to it he placed, father if at all remove it so you and i cannot even begin to imagine and if you're in christ you will never even get to the point where you'll have to imagine what it was like for the wrath of god to be put upon the son of god thank god he bore it for in our place but it says in verse 43, and he there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. And, and, and I love this picture because Jesus is agonizing over the cross and he prays and the father sends an angel to minister to him. And I believe that Jesus would not have had the strength to keep going without the ministry of the angel helping him. And what does he do when the angel comes and strengthens him? He keeps on praying praying at a level that you and i will never know listen to the description of jesus praying in the very next verse in verse 44 and being in agony he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground and when he rose from prayer he came to the disciples and they were sleeping from what sorrow i mean friends we don't know sorrow like jesus knew sorrow I mean, just the, the limited knowledge they had wiped them out emotionally. Have you ever been that way? You're just emotionally exhausted by the trials and the troubles and the struggles and the weaknesses, and you find yourself going, man, I don't know if I can pray another prayer. I don't even know how to pray. My dear friends, this is the good news. You don't need to know how to pray because he has suffered such agony that he knows far better than you what it is to suffer and what you're going through, and he can intercede with groanings too deep for words. He has grown with too deep for words and he knows what you and I need. You and I need to see that Jesus is desperate here. He's submissive. He resigns here and God answers him and God enables him to go to the cross. It's Jesus prayer life that enables him to go to the cross. It's God's grace and God's God's power through the angel ministering to him. Jesus, the Son, is fully dependent on the Father to get him to the place where the Father's wrath would be put upon him in our place. And and I just have to ask you this question. When you read this, and then you think, right now, that same Jesus is praying for me, how far will he go? How faithful will he be? How able is he to enter into your struggle, your confusion, your difficulty? How acquainted is he? Are you really of the mind? Are you listening to Satan that somehow he's going to turn the dial off and cease praying because he says, I can't take it anymore? My dear friends, he already took it all. He already suffered it all. And he did that so that now he might pour out the blessings of his spirit upon us. That's what he's done. John, In John's gospel, John writes the words of Jesus. If you love me, you'll keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but for you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you, anticipating Pentecost. I will not leave you as orphans. Gabe talked about that, the woman this morning. You're not going to be an orphan. You're my child. You're my daughter. You're my son. Yet with, uh, he says, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the spirit the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things, give to, you your, give to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave you, my peace I give you, not as the world do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Will you receive that today? Let not your heart be troubled. Don't be afraid. Not because you have to figure it out. Not because you've got to figure it. Not because you have to fix it. Not because you have to work it. He is on your side. He who agonized and, and prayed so that he had sweat drops like blood. Hebrews says, and I, and I hear this text when I think of Hebrews chapter 12, he says, and you have not resisted to the point of shedding of blood in your fighting against sin. He has. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Oh, thank God for Jesus. John Bunyan says, If men did see their sins, yet without the hope of the Holy Spirit, they would not pray. For they would run away from God with Cain and Judas in utterly despair of mercy. When a man is indeed sensible of his sin and God's curse, it's a hard thing to persuade him to pray. For he says in his heart, there is no hope. Now here comes the Holy Spirit that calms the soul helps it to hold up its face to God by letting into the heart some sense of mercy to encourage it to go to God. And hence, he is called the Comforter. Aren't you glad for that, friends? In this text of Scripture, the Holy Spirit wants to lift up your head and say to you, go to God through Jesus. Go to him. He'll receive you. He's on your side. Whatever it is, go to God. If Christ is for us, who can be against us? What a glorious, encouraging hope. Maybe you came in today and your prayer life just stinks. Welcome to the club. Maybe you've been battling in your prayer life and just going, I feel guilt, I feel shame, I feel the past, I keep hearing the echoes of previous failures and stories. My dear friends, don't go in prayer on your own merits. Go in prayer to the one who is at the right hand of the Father. We don't pray in Kevin Dibley's name. We pray in Jesus' name. For there is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved praise God run to Jesus let's pray together thank you Jesus thank you that you don't let us go thank you that you don't fall asleep thank you that you don't lose heart Thank you, Jesus, that in that garden on that night when you were betrayed, you prayed for us. And thank you, Jesus, now having won the victory over sin and death, you have been given all authority and in heaven and earth and all that belongs to you belongs to us through faith. So hold us, Jesus, and help us, Jesus, because we are weak, but you are strong. It's in Jesus' name we pray together. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were able to seek, savor, and share the all-surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. If you'd like to find out more about our church, submit a prayer request, watch previous sermons, go to www.waterbrook.church. Have a blessed week.